It's time to talk UK sports with the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. This is the Leach Report Radio Network. Join in the discussion by tweeting your questions to at Leach Report or email leachreport at gmail.com. And you can call 877-904-1080. Now, along with an outstanding lineup of guests and broadcast to the most passionate fan base in America, the Big Blue Nation, here's the voice of the Wildcats, Tom Leach. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. It is our Monday edition of the Leach Report. Hope you guys had an enjoyable uh, holiday. Um, got to do something uh, fun. And I appreciate Ryan uh, pinch hitting on Thursday. So I got to take a little longer break. And let um, them do anything special. Did watch Hamilton last night. It is as good as advertised. Um, coming up on the show today, uh, we'll chat with Mark Story from the Lexington Herald Leader. And Kyle Tucker, of course, joins us on Mondays from TheAthletic.com. Wildcat News of the Day is a service of Cardinal Point Financial Group. That is a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services. Uh, Start with football recruiting. Kentucky picked up its 13th commitment over the weekend from Martez Thrower, three-star linebacker out of Rochelle, Georgia, 6-1-2-10, among the schools from which he had offers were three in the SEC, Tennessee, Mississippi State, and Arkansas, a couple of Big Ten schools among the others. Um, guy that, uh, from what I read, is projected to uh, be an inside linebacker type, but would have the versatility to uh, play outside if needed. But uh, inside linebacker, think you know DeAndre Square type of build is kind of what I'm thinking from what I'm seeing, uh, that they'll uh, work on uh, developing as he uh, gets here from Rochelle, Georgia. So nice pickup for Coach Stoops and company. On the basketball side in recruiting, Kentucky has extended an offer to Sky Clark. He's a five-star in the 2022 class, but uh, reports say is strongly considering reclassifying. 6'3 guard, uh, did an interview with uh, KSR in which he... uh, Talked about uh, that he used to work out with Terrence Jones. Uh, said he'll probably make his decision on which school he's going to by, before the end of the year. He talked about his conversation with Cal and uh, some things Cal told him about the workouts at UK and the, and the testing. He said uh, Cal told him there's one player in a t- at a time going in the craft center. Players obviously are there at the lodge. They have uh, their own uh, bedroom, their own bathroom, so keeping everybody separate. Uh, he also is the first prospect to get an offer from Coach Cal without Cal having seen the player in person. But then again, these are unusual times in which we are in right now. Speaking of that, uh, I saw a quote from the Pac-12 commissioner, Larry Scott. He said, unless we see a, a change uh, in the trends, the situation is a lot more perilous than it was a few weeks ago. Don't think anybody would be surprised by, by that comment that uh, – it would seem to be probably where college administrators are right now in in their thinking. Now, uh, you know, Greg Sankey was on, I don't know if it was on a, on a media appearance or when he testified to Congress, but he talked about, I think it was more on a media appearance, that they could probably go as late as uh, the end of July, but they would have to you know make a, a decision probably by that point. So um, my guess would be this. They'll see how things go over the next few weeks. Kansas is the latest school to suspend voluntary workouts because of uh, positive COVID-19 tests. So at the moment, um, 
I think the uh, the meter swings more to the pessimistic side, uh, but we'll see. Uh, we say all you all you can go on is what you know today, but what you're going to know is going to change tomorrow and next week and. I'd say next month, but I don't know if we'll get to next month before a decision has to be made for uh, at least for college football. So we'll see how it plays out over the next uh, few weeks. Uh, congrats to redshirt defensive end Isaiah Gibson became a dad on July second. Congrats uh, to all there. Uh, Keeneland is launching its first ever summer meet this week. Our coverage of the Keeneland summer meet presented by Claiborne Farm, doing the usual unusually well for more than 100 years Uh, the uh, interesting storyline right now with respect to uh, keeneland's big day on saturday when they'll have six uh, graded stakes races is swiss skydiver the outstanding three-year-old filly from the barn of trainer kenny mcpeak who has won three straight uh, graded stakes and stamped herself as one of the top contenders for the Kentucky Oaks. And she already has enough, the points to get in the Oaks field. So they're looking at maybe running her against the boys, the Bluegrass Stakes, which would be a really interesting uh, angle to that day of, of racing. There's only been one filly that's ever contested uh, the Bluegrass Stakes. And uh, normally it's not run in July, so the usual circumstances. But still, it would be an interesting uh, storyline if it plays out. He says he's going to, as we mentioned last week, uh, talk to Kenny, he said he'll, uh, and, and he said, repeated this over the weekend, he'll wait to entry day, which I believe is Wednesday, before he uh, makes a decision one way or the other on running in the Toyota Bluegrass or the Central Bank Ashland Stakes, both coming up on Saturday. We're going to do a U.K. Network broadcast from there on Saturday of the uh, covering all of the stakes races. We'll have uh, some interviews with uh, trainers and Keeneland officials talking about the racing. We'll talk to some U.K. folks uh, about the uh, uh you know, about the cats and the connection between Kentucky and UK sports and Keeneland over the years. We'll have some uh, UK folks and some of our UK network personnel uh, being our celebrity pickers on the stakes races. So should be a lot of fun. So that'll be coming up uh, on Saturday on the UK sports network. Links to the stories that we talk about each day can be found on the Bud Light Leach Report page at TomLeachKY.com. Heading to a break, Mark Story from the Herald Leader joins us when we return on the Leach Report Radio Network. You're tuned to Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report. And visit TomLeachKY.com for more news and views on the cats. We go to the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. Bring on Mark Story from the Lexington Herald-Leader and KentuckySports.com. I uh, mentioned that it's uh, the racing of the four-legged kind at Keeneland that's getting going on Wednesday. It's also a big week for racing with the four-wheeled kind uh, up at Kentucky Speedway. And, Mark, I know you're a big NASCAR guy, so um, I'm sure you wish you could cover this event. But I uh, guess you're looking forward to uh, what might unfold this week up in Sparta. I think I will get to cover it. Oh, you will? Oh, good. That's not 100% official, but I think that will happen. Um, But, yeah, I think think any live sports in this uh, period of sports drought is is something to sort of cherish. I I agree with you. I was just telling uh, Shannon uh, off the air that... um, uh, I am going to do this show for the UK Network in Keeneland on Saturday, so I'll actually get to cover a sporting event. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to, to that on Saturday. I know what you mean. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I have not covered a live event since the Tennessee Kentucky basketball game in Rupp Arena. Uh, so uh, I would guess that's the longest uh, I've gone without being at a live sports event since I became a sports writer. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm there with you. Uh, so I hadn't thought of those terms, but you're right. Uh, you had a nice story in the uh, Herald-Leader about uh, a local doctor, a Kentucky doctor, Lexington-based, uh, Dr. Ryan Stanton, I believe, who um, has a connection uh, with uh, NASCAR, right? Right. He essentially, NASCAR has a, has a emergency medical team that travels week to week to, to the races, and supplements the the track, which which also have their own medical teams. And essentially, it was started so the drivers, you know, when they were in an accident, would just have familiar faces, you know, the, dealing with them in their, in stressful situations, you know, when they're in distress on the track. So they would, you know, be, it would be there would be faces they knew. But with the coronavirus and the efforts to contain it it's sort of fallen to that medical team they're, they're playing a pretty big role in you know administering nascar's testing and stuff like that so you know dr stanton was explaining to me that you know in the, the week before you know nascar returned at darlington after the coronavirus layoff he did not sleep much at all because he was anticipating you know NASCAR is not testing specifically for COVID at the track. They basically take temperature tests after they've required you to uh, fill out a long health questionnaire. But, you know, Dr. Stanton said he was anticipating a lot of people being turned away and was dreading that, and I don't think that's actually been what's happened. I don't think they've had a tremendous number of people, you know, who have failed the medical screening. Uh, obviously, Jimmy Johnson tested positive for coronavirus, and, was, and while asymptomatic, did not was not able to race at the, the Brickyard 400 yesterday. And it will be, I would guess, he probably won't get to run at Kentucky Speedway in what would have been his last chance to win and win at the track if he follows through on his retirement plans. Did uh, Dr. Stanton offer any uh, thoughts on if? what they're dealing with has any applications for other sports coming back? I didn't ask him that specifically. NASCAR, you know, I think having been one of the first, if not the first major, you know, sport to sort of return, you know, I think the fact that you know, they've been able to, to make it you know, work pretty well so far, I think, you know, I think there is some hope in that. Now, it's a fairly unique thing. It's a, there's a lot of social distancing involved, and you know, already in NASCAR, you, you know, a lot of people wearing kind of these you know, fire retardant masks. So NASCAR, in some ways, is was sort of uniquely uh, suited for for coming back in this particular environment. Tom and Mark Story from the Lexington Herald Leader and KentuckySports.com. Another of your recent columns dealt with the the prospect of moving the college football season to the spring, which is something that has, was thrown out early, hadn't been talked about much late because I think uh, all the uh, momentum seemed to be building toward uh, the season starting on Labor Day weekend as scheduled. Now I, I think the the pendulum for the at the moment is is swinging back to a little more pessimism on on that front so uh, the spring prospect uh, could come back uh, and, and gain more traction but as you mentioned in your column uh, it's there it's one of those easier said than done things there are a lot of other issues that maybe are you know whether it's unintended consequences or things people haven't thought about yet what are the biggest ones to you 
Well, and, yeah, I think – let me start by saying, you know, I hope college – I hope we're able to play college football. I'm nothing – you know, I, I, I would love for there to be a college football season if the players can be safe. But it just appears to me, at least right now, that all the options are bad. I mean, obviously not playing at all is a financial calamity. You know, playing in the fall seems incredibly, increasingly risky given kind of the, the status of the virus in various parts of the country. But if you move it to the spring, which, you know, may, maybe that's the least bad of the bad options, but it's still a bad option for various reasons. Number one, you know, if you have a player like Terry Wilson who suffered an injury that basically is taking 11 months, maybe a year, a year to recover from, well, he got hurt in a spring season. That, that player is going to miss two years if you come back and then play in the fall. Secondly, there's the issues of you know physical recovery for the players. And that, that would be kind of an unknown to put them through a college football full season in the spring and then ask them to come back the next year and play another you know season in the fall. And then the third thing, you know, we've had so many players opting out of ball games and stuff to preserve their draft status. You wonder if they'll just opt out of the whole season if you play in the spring. So you know, there's a lot of things that you know are are not less than ideal about a, a possible spring football season. Because the draft, it would be unlikely to be moved, so that you know, the draft would occur within a spring football season, the NFL draft. Yeah, it would. I mean, even if they did move it, you just wonder, you know, if how how willing guys would be, you know, to 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 to, to risk injury that close to starting their professional careers. Tom and Mark Story will take a quick break and come back with one more segment. It's the Leach Report Radio Network. Look for the Leach Report on Facebook. Show updates, contests, and other cool stuff. Check it out today. Mark Story with us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. I saw where Andy Katz at, uh, I think it was at the NCAA site today, ranking of the top ten clutch players in college basketball uh, over the years. Um, had Kemba Walker at the top. I don't know if this goes into all-time uh, but uh, I don't. It seems more recent, so it, uh, I'll have to go back and look and see what the time frame was. But anyway, it Kemba Walker at the top. But he had Aaron Harrison on the list as number six. Deron Lamb ten, which was a lot to me. I mean, Deron's a great shooter. I don't remember a ton of as many clutch shots for him as uh, the ones Brandon Knight hit in the NCAA tournament. But uh, any thoughts on the clutch shooter list? Well, obviously Aaron Harrison for what he did in the 2014 NCAA tournament oh, yeah. alone. You know, deserve to be on any such list. Yeah, I'm like you. I mean, not, no criticism of Duran, but the, on the 2012 team, there wasn't a requirement of many no. clutch shots because they were crushing people. Um, and you're right. In the 2011 tournament, it was Brandon Knight who hit you know two game winning shots. Now, obviously, to get in the way back machine. I mean, for, when you and I were were young, you know, Kyle Macy was oh, yeah. the epitome of the clutch shooting Kentucky guard. You know, there's a there's the thing about it, if you go back and really think about Kentucky basketball history, there's been a ton of just, you know, incredible, you know, pressure shots made. You know, fascinatingly, some of them have been in games Kentucky wound up losing. I think of the, the Sean Wood shot in the Leitner game and, you know, Anthony Yaps who hit that double clutch three pointer that tied the national championship game in 97 against Arizona. You know, the, the Patrick Sparks shot that bounced around and went in and the, the Sit the Michigan State game into overtime in the 2005 Elite Eight. 
game that Kentucky ultimately lost in double overtime, just as it lost to Arizona in 97 in the final then overtime. I mean, Kentucky guards have hit some amazing shots in games that the Wildcats didn't go on to win. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, where, what, you know, those would the, be in the NCAA tournament lore, uh, if they had led to wins, uh, either, you know, Sean's, if it had been a, you know, second or so later, and the others, if, uh, you know, Kentucky had had one more point on the board before the shot came. Well, yeah, and, you know, it's funny. I don't, people I talk to, tons of people don't even remember that Epp shot, which You're was right. an incredible shot. Gets overlooked. I mean, literally, he rose up to shoot. Some guy flew by him. He double pumped, double clutched it, and then hit a three pointer that forced overtime in the national championship. I mean, that, that, the, the degree of difficulty on that was just ridiculous. And, uh, you know, uh, here's, here's another one that might have been, um, the 83 dream game. If Dirk goes for maybe the dunk instead of, uh, Charles Jones getting the block on his shot, or if the gym master shot a few seconds later had actually won the game instead of sending it to overtime. There's another one. Yeah, that's another one. Yeah, that master shot, given all the hype for that game that, you know, hit a shot. Oh especially kind of the way that game had gone for Kentucky. You've had a big lead and it got away, and then you're down to you know, hit, then stick a shot at the end of regulation to put it into overtime. That, that was, that, yeah, the, the, clutch, the clutchness of that shot was very, very high. And a uh, superbly you know, executed play. There weren't many seconds left, I want to say, something like, what, four or five maybe, and they had to hit two or three passes and boom, 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 and got Jim an open boat, about a 15-footer out of the corner. Yeah, it was a, it it's it, it was that was a, a, a that was a big time shot given oh, the circumstances. Huge, huge to uh, rise up and and hit that uh, as confidently as he did. And, and normally that's the kind of shot that you know the team that makes that shot then goes on and wins in the overtime. Well, unfortunately for the uh, Cat fans, it didn't happen that way as uh, Lancaster Gordon and Milt Wagner kind of took over in the OT. Um, Mark, thank you much for the time, and uh, enjoy the uh, – I hope you get to cover the the race on Saturday, and if so, enjoy. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you having me. That's uh, Mark Story joining us from the Lexington Herald-Leader and the KentuckySports.com. On Twitter, it's Mark C. Story. Next up, Kyle Tucker from The Athletic joins us here on the Leach Report Radio Network. This is where the Big Blue Nation gathers. It's Talk Radio 1080 and the Leach Report, followed by Kentucky Sports Radio. Second half of our show for this Monday edition of the Leach Report. And we are working to land Kyle Tucker on the line from theathletic.com for his regular Monday visits. Uh, as we mentioned, we're going to be out at Keeneland on Saturday uh, from 2 to 6 Eastern time doing a broadcast that will cover all six of the graded stakes races on the big Saturday card. The racing at Keeneland will resume on Wednesday. Uh, no fans. Um, I think there are a limited number of uh, owners that are allowed to come out. So if you see some uh, shots of the track, you will see a few people there. But um, 
We'll be uh, doing the broadcast on Saturday. The uh, first graded stakes races come up on uh, Friday, two of them on Friday, headlined by the grade one makers, Mark Mile, and then there are a couple of graded stakes on Sunday. So it's Wednesday through Sunday out at Keeneland this week. Kyle Tucker joins us now from theathletic.com. Happy National Fried Chicken Day to you, by the way. Uh, wow, I didn't realize that was a, a holiday, but now I'm going to make sure to go out of my way to honor it. <laughs> I did not either. I saw it on, uh, show up on, on Twitter. Uh, and folks who follow you on, on Twitter know you're you're quite the foodie from your travels. Uh, so do you have a, a favorite fried chicken local and on uh, the travel circuit? Oh, man. Uh, probably Hattie B's uh, in Nashville. Oh, that's good. Uh, yeah. Um, I would say, lo- I mean, locally, I really like Joella's. There's a lot of good fried chicken, and honestly, this is a re- this will uh, maybe this will disqualify me uh, as a as a foodie, but some of the best fried chicken on earth to me is the Sunday chicken at Cracker Barrel, which I get ev- now. They have it every day, and <laughs> I get it every time I go there. Uh, and uh, my uh, mother-in-law makes. Uh, Great fried chicken. A lot of families, you know, within your family, you may have somebody in your family that uh, is known for their uh, fried chicken. And locally, it's been uh, quite a story. I know uh, Matt with KSR has been involved trying to save the Save-A-Lot fried chicken that is so popular. The store is closing, and uh, the uh, folks won't be able because I've heard for years and then actually went and tried it, and it was true how good the the Save-A-Lot on Southland Drive, their fried chicken, has been. So don't know if they've shut the... uh, fried chicken down there yet or not anyway on to other things uh such as college football your colleague at the athletic nicole auerbach had a story come out over the weekend i was uh reading with interest about uh talking to the uh chief medical officer for the ncaa brian hainline uh and um yeah, this is somebody that's been involved with the, the SEC and all the other leagues as they uh, work on their protocols. And uh, the story's about why there's not a, a nationwide standard. And it's you know it's not like you know the NFL where it has a, a commissioner um, that, that can set policy. NCAA, you know, and even unlike you know college basketball, the NCAA doesn't call the shots for college football. So it's really going to be conference by conference, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is, and uh, I I don't see. I don't see how that's not going to become a, a huge problem uh, because there are non-conference games. So you have uh, teams from one league coming to play and teams from another. And obviously when you're talking about bowl games and, and, and college football playoff, uh, that's going to be the case. Uh, so what do you do when you run into somebody from another league that's got different standards than you? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it's, this is highlighting that uh, we probably need somebody in charge. Um, this is highlighting a lot of things, I think, uh, about some of the yeah. dysfunction uh, of, of college athletics. Um, but it's going to be it, it, interesting, I guess, is the word I'd use. Um, I would say there's probably a lot of trepidation <laughs> with a lot of different leaders uh, in college football right now, just trying to envision, you know, it, even if you start, how do you get to the finish line with all of the logistical things that are going to pop up? Yeah, I don't envy the people having to to make the calls. Uh, in the story, it talks about uh, some quotes from uh, some uh, league officials, and that talks about they, you know, like for instance, the Power Fives can work together. Uh, they have uh, similar, you know, budgets and and uh, issues. But then, uh, what about the uh, the the leagues that provide schools that? they will play against that don't have those budgets and some of the things that you're talking about there. And all this has got to be kind of worked out 
uh, at least the first phase of it here probably in the next few weeks, right? Because they can't go much past uh, certainly the end of July without having a, a decision on whether it's a go for Labor Day weekend, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's coming up on on the decision makers and and you know I don't think it bodes great that there've already been a couple places that have shut down voluntary workouts because they've had big outbreaks um but what do I know? <laughs> everybody <laughs> every, everybody seems to want to just say full steam ahead so uh I guess get on with it and we'll see what happens. And the other thing that I think could be an issue is something the uh uh, commissioner of the Pac-12, I saw a quote from him uh, talking about you know when students start to come back. So let's say things. There, this has been kind of a roller coaster with this uh, uh, virus, and if uh, it, the picture maybe in a few weeks looks a little better, maybe there's been more masking or what, whatever, uh, and it looks a little better, and then you you go with the start of the season, but then when students come back on campus and college life returns and does it spike again and do you have to right. shut it down and could you could you have a, a season that starts in the fall and ends in the spring entirely played in the spring this is I, I would just say for fans just buckle up be be prepared to be flexible don't get locked in on you know any strong opinions because uh yeah. it's all going to change yeah you know I, I would say too like the ivy league was was i think what the first to shut down it's uh, conference uh, shut down basketball and all that stuff in the uh, in March, and everybody kind of rolled their eyes at them at the time, uh, and and they turned out to be probably ahead of the curve. They've are mm-hmm. I think they've already proposed spring football, um, you know, and and we might we might have to start thinking about that. You know, that may nobody wants to wait, but that may give us the best chance to start and finish a season sort of con- concurrently. We're talking with Kyle Tucker from TheAthletic.com. Take a quick break, come back, and uh, talk a little bit about one of his latest stories at The Athletic. Uh, a reference to one from his colleague, Nicole Auerbach. You can uh, s- subscribe and, and see all of the content that we're talking about. We'll get to more with Kyle when we come right back. He's joining us on the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. This is the Leach Report on Talk Radio 1080. You can interact with the show via Twitter at Leach Report. Now, here's Tom. Back with Kyle Tucker, the KentuckyHempWorks.com hotline. You can read him at TheAthletic.com. Uh, subscribe and uh, keep up with what's going on in uh, with your favorite teams and sports around the country. We're starting to get some sports back. Major um, League Baseball later this month in the NBA, if all goes well. Uh, Kyle, you, um, for the, your latest piece for The Athletic is about um, reaching out to Kentucky fans and uh, getting responses and uh, and breaking them down into to different uh, categories. And since we won't go through all of it, folks can uh, go read the story, but we'll we'll hit a few of the uh, the highlights. One, we'll start on, on the football side and um, the level of optimism for Kentucky making it to the SEC championship game. Not, not winning it necessarily, but just making it to Atlanta for the SEC championship game uh, in the next five years um, uh, is uh, pretty high, right? Yeah, some 70-some percent, I think. I think Kentucky can get there. Uh, a small number, I think. I feel like it was like 18% um, that thought they could get there and win it, but, uh, but a much larger percentage. Uh, the majority, to almost uh, three quarters of, of uh, people we polled, uh, 500 people, I think, responded to our survey, about 23 question survey. Um, 
thought Kentucky, it was reasonable to expect Kentucky to get to the SEC championship game uh, in the next five years. I think that's pretty remarkable. I, I think that really speaks to um, how much Stoops and company have raised the expectation. Um, you know, approval rating on Mark Stoops, there was not a single person, I don't think, who voted that they did not approve him. I mean, you, you would think they were crazy if they did, but um, I think he had some, nine, some 96% um, were uh, satisfied or very satisfied with the job that uh, Stoops is doing with the football program. Um, that's those are those are a couple of pretty um, notable numbers, I think, when you when you look at sort of the turnaround that that they've not even turnaround. It's it's beyond turnaround now. Uh, now, just uh, I think the building of a program into something people uh, think highly of. Yeah, I know a lot was made about uh, Coach Stoops coming in with a, a clear plan that he detailed to uh, Mitch and the the committee that was evaluating the coaching prospects, and that they were you know impressed by that. And you know, as as he has put this together, it's been you know pretty methodical, and um, you know he's uh, made a few adjustments along the way, but uh, he had. Uh, he uh, clearly had put a lot of uh, planning into thinking it could work here at Kentucky when nobody else has made it work here at Kentucky in a long, long time. Yeah, I, I think you know. I think time begins to give us some clarity, and I think the longer he's here, the more it feels like Stoops may have been about as perfect of a guy as you could have tabbed to um, lead a program like this, where there are some challenges. And where one of the biggest challenges, and I think we've talked about this before, one of the biggest challenges is thinking small. Um, you know, thinking that you're going to take the, the leftovers uh, from Georgia and Florida as your recruiting base. You know, take the, the fourth and fifth tier guys out of those states, and uh, you know, hope that you get a couple of Randall Cobbs. Um, you know, he's the guy, and along with Vince and, and others, uh, who came in day one and said, you know. We can, you know, we can coach them all day, but you gotta got you gotta get players to win in this league, and so we gotta go. Believe uh, we can be big time programs, and, and and they obviously had a plan in that regard too, how to get started on that, and that was to go attack those kids in in Ohio. Um, you know, taking taking the guys that Ohio State just doesn't have room for versus taking the the leftovers, the scraps from Florida and Georgia is a different thing. There's a lot of good. There's enough good talent in Ohio. Uh, to supply multiple programs, and so they went and stole from Michigan State and Michigan and others. Um, I, I think it's really clear that he did have that plan. That uh, you know, there was obviously something that really impressed Mitch, and I think that um, laid out. I mean, he had a binder, you know, he had he had spreadsheets and printouts. I, I've, I've I haven't gone through it, but I've seen it. I've physically seen the plan um, on his desk before, and so I know it was thorough. Uh, and I think it was uh, that was a key. I don't think you can just come into a place like Kentucky hoping or uh, believing in yourself uh, enough to get the job done. You got to really know how you're going to attack it. Seems like he did and has. Yeah, really, really good point. What about uh, in this uh, fan survey piece that you did for theAthletic.com? Any anything that uh, surprised you or was particularly noteworthy to you in the fan response? Yeah, really shocked that people want the checkerboards to go away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, but that did that was on there, and that was the conclusion, the very obvious conclusion. Um, Although I did, say, it, you know, in looking at the, at those numbers, there was a a, a sizable percentage of I can't remember the number that uh, were okay 
seemed to be okay with them if they were less prominent. So if uh, yeah, which uh, if you if you did that, it almost looking at those numbers, it's like it'd probably be less of an issue, maybe. Yeah, well, the way it started as the as the uh, the checkers on the on the belt, basically the, the mm-hmm. front panel of the belt on the shorts, was a cool idea. Uh, it was to, uh, you know the Secretariat theme, but also they had uh, there were eight squares and yes. seven were filled in with national titles, and the eighth was left open. You know that's kind of cool. Uh, I think once they filled that eighth square in, they thought, okay, well that idea is not really the same anymore uh you know let's run it up the sides and that's where people started not liking it so i think if you put it back on the belt uh people would probably be okay i don't think the checkerboard's going away but i do i mean at this point i don't know how the uk would not have heard the voice of the fans that don't love it uh all up the sides of the jerseys uh but more seriously uh in terms of something that stuck out stuck out to me about that poll i thought um in asking you know who will eventually be john calipari's successor Kenny Payne has really made a move, you know, in a, I think in a lot of people's minds to the point that I think if Kentucky were to elevate him and, you know, if Cal left in the next three or four years and Kenny Payne was the guy, um, I think a lot of Kentucky fans would be happy with that. Uh, and that's not always the case when you just elevate a, an assistant, and especially if you're a blue blood program, you go, well, we ought to be able to go get the best coach out there. And there are some of that. There's some sort of pie in the sky people that think they can go get Brad Stevens, never going to happen, uh, or, you know, Billy Donovan, probably not going to happen. Um, but uh, Kenny Payne and then Chris Beard at Texas Tech, uh, yeah, Texas Tech, um, who got Texas Tech incredibly to a national championship game uh, two years ago. Uh, those were the guys that were neck and neck as the two most popular choices um, in our fan survey, anyway, uh, for Cal's replacement. I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, with with Kenny, um, he gets probably more media opportunities than the uh, the typical assistant in terms of not only just doing the news conference but you know he does uh radio the you know the radio show on monday night he's also done some pre and post game uh with me and he is exceptional uh i think fans yeah. have really connected with him through those uh things they appreciate just uh, how you know candid and, and straightforward he is in those sessions yeah, and, and and maybe it's just game reps for him, uh, or maybe he you know went and sought out some sort of media type training. But uh, Kenny wasn't always, at least in my opinion, was not always awesome at the microphone. But he has gotten terrific uh, to the point that I there's not anybody I'd rather talk to around the yeah. program. Just if I need you know if I need to get some great uh, material, um, he's 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 frank without being mean uh you know i mean he, mm-hmm. he'll call out a player but he's you know he's not mean about it um and, and i think that i think sort of the way we hear him uh interact with us now uh, in the media i think is a lot of the way he interacts with those players you know Ag- without I agree. Being mean, you know he's he's on them uh he's gonna you know when nick richards was playing really well he's like that's not enough but here's what I love about what I'm seeing, but that's not enough. And I'm going to demand that, you know, do this, that, or the other. And, you know, PJ Washington two years ago came out to one of those uh, press conferences where he stood in for Cal Perry, and, you know, and Cal would never probably have done this, but said, you know, basically I, I know PJ can be better than this. You know, he ought to be the best player in the country. I'm, I'm not, you know, letting him rest on what he's done. It's just not enough for me. Um, and and I, I thought that was all, um, that kind of stuff is all really interesting. It makes for good copy for us, or mm-hmm. good radio or TV. But uh, but also, I think when he's delivering those messages to the players, it, it's part of what kind of pulls the best out of them. No, I, I think um, you're exactly right. And he, um, 
just is very uh, confident, and and that you, that is a an imperative in this job. Cal's, I think, part of his success is he's just very you know secure in who he is, so he uh, doesn't you know uh, worry about. Uh, decisions that need to be made, and I, I sense that even though he he should have Kenny should have been a head coach by now, and I'm sure he's had offers. It's just he's got a great gig here. But if that uh, did uh, did transpire, I think he'd be very confident in who he is. Yeah, I think, and and, and Kenny's in this spot now. I mean, he makes almost a million dollars a year. He's one of the highest paid assistant coaches in college basketball, if not the highest. Um, that that makes it difficult to leave. I think also you've got to be careful in, in Kenny's spot about taking the wrong you know head coaching job just to be a head coach because if you go to the wrong place, uh, then your star you know his star is it has risen and it'll fall fast if you if you take the wrong you know say I'm going to go coach here to be a head coach so I have that experience for two or three years while I wait for Cal to leave or whatever whatever it might be. Um, you've got to be really careful about that and Kenny may be to the spot now where he's. In his mind, it's you know I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait Cal out, <laughs> you know, and try to get this uh, Kentucky job. Uh, and I think for Kentucky, it could be a really good situation because I do think now the fan base would be on board with it. I think you have a chance for some continuity uh, in in bridging the gap between Cal and the next guy. And uh, you know, I'm not assigning failure to Kenny, but if if it didn't work out for Kenny, um, the, you know, in three or four years or two or three years, I don't know that you get a long time at Kentucky, um, then whoever that next big-name hire is, the next time doesn't have to be the guy who's replacing Cal. Uh, there aren't many people who want that opportunity. I do think Kenny's one of the people who would um, because it would be this great head coaching opportunity. But a, a lot of established coaches don't want to come in here and go, oh, okay, I'm going to try to follow Cal where they want the number one recruiting class every year. I don't know if I want to do that. Um, you can. Uh... So I, I think it's a good setup. You can read that, uh, the fan survey, uh, get some interesting uh, numbers out of it at theathletic.com. Thanks, Kyle. Thank you. We'll be back and wrap up this edition of the Leach Report in just a moment. Congrats to Shannon Bishop Arvin, named the new president and CEO out at Keeneland. Effective January 1, she'll succeed Bill Thomason as the eighth president and the first female in that job at Keeneland. Uh, coming up tomorrow, it'll be Larry Vaught and Ben Roberts joining us here on the Leach Report. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to the Leach Report. Make sure you check out the podcast page at TomLeachKY.com whenever you miss a show. And be sure to follow the Leach Report Facebook page. If you have a question for